0: Hello and welcome to Cannabis Grand Rounds, a production by physicians with advanced degrees in cannabis medicine. Your hosts, Dr. Lee Van Dr. Les Matthews, and Dr. Hal Altman, will offer unbiased medical cannabis education for healthcare providers and the motivated public. Our content is selected with the objective to fully explore cannabis as science and medicine and pledges to reflect current cannabis knowledge with no hidden agenda nor sponsorships. Hello and welcome back to Cannabis Grand Rounds. I'm your host Dr. Hal Altman and joining me today is Dr. Chad Johnson. Our intent is to speak a little bit about the formulation challenges that the cannabinoids present to a prescribing practitioner specifically the oral preparations, and if we have time, we're going to try to consider the transmembrane and transdermal preps as well. Dr. Chad Johnson is the co-director of the University of Maryland School of Pharmacy's Masters of Science in Medical Cannabis Science and Therapeutics program. He's with us today to discuss the challenges of cannabis formulation that impact the use of medicinal cannabinoids. Traditional Western medicine prefers the oral route of administration, uh, both the prescriber as well as the patient. And oral preps, unfortunately, present significant challenges uh, when it comes to the cannabinoids because of their chemical structures and the fact that they, at least in the oral preps, are in an aqueous environment. Today, Dr. Johnson is going to help us understand those challenges and we'll review the pharmacokinetics and a few of the pharmacodynamics of the various cannabinoid formulations. Welcome, Dr. Johnson.
1: Hey, how thanks for uh, thanks for having me today, appreciate it.
0: So to begin with, you're gonna take us back in, in our education to uh, some of the basics of organic and biochemistry and how they relate to the cannabinoids and the challenges that they present, particularly uh, as they are related to uh, our oral preps.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So if I kind of take you all back in time, if we just take a look at the general structure of cannabinoids, I know we mainly focus on THC and CBD, but in general, the group of cannabinoids represent a group of C21 or C22 in their carboxylated forms. So a lot of carbons, lots of carbons, hydrogens, and a few oxygens due to their hydroxyl groups on both THC and CBD. Um, I know we're we're on a podcast, so I can't show you the structures, but if you look at both THC and CBD, their structures are pretty similar. They've got an aromatic ring, they've got a cyclohexene ring, a six-membered ring with a double bond, and they've got that characteristic hydrocarbon tail that we're all familiar with, but the central ring is really where they differ. It's closed in THC and it's open in CBD. And interestingly, that very that very small, subtle chemical uh, change in chemical structure uh, dramatically alters their pharmacological properties. But what we're in terms for this podcast, what we're really thinking about here is just the sheer amount of hydrogens and carbons. So hydrocarbons are what we call lipophilic, and Lipo, lipo stands for is a prefix for lipid, fat. uh, Lipo, lipid, fat, file, love. They're fat loving. Hydrophilicity, on the other hand, hydro is prefix for water. File is love, water loving. So when we look at when we look at cannabinoids, because of all their carbons and hydrogens, we know that they're highly lipophilic, and we characterize this by something called a log P or a partition coefficient. And it's not important that we go in detail how it's measured in the lab, but it can be determined experimentally. And in general, the higher the log P value, the more lipophilic a substance is. Cannabinoids happen to have a very high log P, which if you think about drug distribution and absorption, if you're going to administer this to a patient, and we as humans are mostly water, that presents significant challenges and that is where drug formulation comes into play.
0: So before we get into to the challenges, there is something that is desirable about uh, these compounds being uh, lipophilic and that is that it allows them to more easily pass the blood-brain barrier. Could you speak to that for a sec?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, so anything anything that is lipophilic and not charged, it doesn't possess a charge on the compound is going to cross is not only going to cross the cells uh, the cells in the body very readily and be able to bind to their respective receptors, in this case, the cannabinoid receptors, CB1 and CB2, but it also allows it to freely cross into the, BB, into the BBB, the blood-brain barrier, and both THC and CBD have been shown by via multiple groups and multiple researchers that both are highly absorbed and rapidly distributed throughout the entire body, including the CNS, and this is due to their lipophilic structures and their lack of a charge
0: okay so we've got these lipophilic structures that uh, we're going to put into our mouths and they're going to be delivered to the stomach into the into an aqueous environment what are the challenges then with absorption and bioavailability on the basis of the chemical structure
1: right so so when you when a patient first is taking an oral formulation the very first thing that comes you know as it passes through the esophagus and into the stomach the very first thing that's going to prevent you know just the drug from getting to the sites of action is that it's going to go through first pass metabolism so right from the get go if a patient is looking for an easily titratable formulation meaning that they can rapidly titrate the dose to the particular feeling or physiological effect that they're looking for, oral is going to present a challenge because oral does not reach Cmax or the maximum concentration at least until after anywhere from 60 to 90 minutes for some folks perhaps longer. Uh, and this, is, this can present a challenge to patients because they may be slightly impatient to get the physiological, to feel the physiological effect that they're desiring, and that may lead them to take more of a particular uh, edible formulation, which could result in adverse uh, adverse effects. So the slow onset of action is going to be one of the challenges. Another piece, another challenge that, that comes along with edible or oral administration is that we need we need to ensure that the product has some sort of homo- uh, homogeneity. So are is THC, CBD, or the other cannabinoids, are they evenly distributed in that formulation? So that if you take a bite of a gummy, if you take a bite of a brownie or whatever whatever the formulation may be, Is are the cannabinoids evenly distributed within that formulation so that you're getting an equal serving size every time the patient partakes in that particular edible? Uh, So those are those are two things right off the bat that are that are huge challenges that have to be overcome, not to mention the actual form designing the formulation itself, so that you can have adequate bioavailability to even elicit a therapeutic effect from the get-go, since both THC and CBD have been demonstrated by several researchers to have very low inherent bioavailability by themselves, but bioavailability can be altered by the formulation. It can also be altered by whether the patient is in a fed or fasted state. Okay. we
0: Let's see where we are. We, we've got THC and CBD in the gut, and it's going to pass via the portal system into the liver. And what are the metabolic effects of the liver on both compounds?
1: It's a that's a good question, and it's important that that providers and patients are aware. So the liver CYP450 enzymes or CYP450s act very act readily on both THC and CBD. The primary metabolite. We can talk about CBD as well, but the primary metabolite of interest is that of THC, and when it is oxidized in the liver, it gets converted into 11-hydroxy-THC, which has been shown to be three to four times more potent than the parent Delta-9-THC compound. Uh, Relatable in our current time, since Delta-8, its uh, its close sibling is now becoming um, more readily available to patients these days. Delta-8 is also metabolized in a similar fashion. It is also hydroxylated in the 11 position, and its metabolite is anywhere from three to four times more potent than the original parent compound. So that's of importance to patients because if they are going to take an edible, you typically will need a smaller dose of the edible than you would via inhalation because you are generating 11-hydroxy-THC in your body that... Is more potent at the CB1 and CB2 receptor. It more readily crosses the blood brain barrier and it is less bound to plasma proteins. So it is more readily, more rapidly, and readily distributed throughout the body. CBD, on the other hand, we don't know as much about the metabolites as we do THC, but we do know that it is hydroxylated very similarly to THC and this main metabolite is 7-hydroxy-CBD. Notice the number change there, and that's just a numbering convention between THC and CBD, but it is hydroxylated in the exact same position and then oxidized again into the carboxylic acid, also like THC, uh, which is known to be an inactive metabolite, just as 11-carboxy-THC is for THC. But 11-carboxy-THC is what can be detected For weeks and sometimes months after ingestion or inhalation. And this is also what is measured in blood tests. So, Chad, can you help
0: us to understand and maybe review the pharmacokinetics of these two, I guess, most common formulations, that being inhalation versus oral? All
1: right. So, when we think about the PK considerations of these, we, you know, I can't show you a graph. Uh, on a podcast but I can describe that we what we look at is a dose a, a dose versus time curve and we're really looking at some some key some key factors here the first is the onset of action the second is cmax or the concentration maximum the next is tmax which is how long it takes to reach that cmax the maximum concentration of cannabinoids and then finally we're looking at the elimination phase. How you know? How long does it? How long does the, uh, the the cannabinoids stay in the body before they're cleared? And so, when you're talking about oral versus inhalation, inhalation it's going to be bypassing first mass metabolism. So you have a rapid rise to C max uh, within three to ten minutes, and then you have a rapid elimination down. What's interesting when you look at IV versus inhalation, you don't see a whole lot of IV administration of cannabinoids, and that's due to the formulation constraints we talked about earlier with cannabinoids being so lipophilic, but it's not too far behind in inhalation uh, because they're both bypassing first-pass metabolism largely, although the lungs do some basal-level metabolism, so it's not quite the same level as IV in terms of bioavailability, but it's close. And so you have a rapid rise to Cmax and a rapid elimination, which is good for patients because this is easily titratable. The dose can be easily titrated by the patient. If they want a stronger effect, they can take another puff. Uh, If they don't, they can stop. Uh, Oral, on the other hand, is a little bit different. Oral has an absorption phase and an elimination phase. Notice I didn't mention an absorption phase in inhalation. Inhalation and IV have no absorption phase, they only have an elimination phase. With oral, it's a much slower onset to action, anywhere from 60 to 90 minutes, because of that absorption phase. It has to be absorbed by the body in order to be bioavailable. So by that time, it has already passed through the esophagus, through the stomach, the stomach, the intestines, and the liver. And by the time it's gone through first pass metabolism, that is when it is bioavailable. This is 60 to 90 minutes later. And so the, the effect is dramatically delayed. The bioavailability is quite low because some of it, just some of the cannabinoids go straight to metabolism and excretion. Some get recirculated via the, via the hepatic portal vein. So the pharmacokinetics are drastically different. It's not to say that one method necessarily has an advantage over the other, each has its advantages and disadvantages, but they should both be taken into consideration by patients and by providers when they're thinking of a particular formulation to administer.
0: Yeah, re- really important educational point because I, I think we've all heard of people taking an oral prep waiting and waiting and waiting and they figure they didn't take enough. And just as they they take the second dose, the first uh, kicks in, and they're on the floor for four hours. Very important educational point. Chad, thanks so much for for that overview and explanation, and I think we'll wrap this up. hope to come back and, and speak a little bit more about the specifics of oral formulation and maybe get into some transdermal and transmembrane preparations as well. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank our audience for listening and we'll see you the next time. All information, material and content on this podcast is for general informational and educational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for professional and or medical advice, diagnosis and or treatment by a qualified physician or healthcare provider. No doctor patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and any materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. Cannabis Grand Rounds LLC does not offer personal health or medical advice. If you have a medical emergency, call your doctor or call 911 immediately.